0: I am excited to introduce our guest today. He is the head of business development over at Lightning Labs uh, and a graduate of the University of Texas in Austin. Ryan, there's so much more that you can say about yourself, so I'm going to let you say more about yourself, but welcome, Ryan Gentry, to the show.
1: Hey, everybody. P's and Q's. What's going on?
2: We're keeping it real. We're keeping it real. I love also it. Before you jump in, I just want to defend you. You're not that head of business development. You are the director of business development. You direct shit. And that's-, that's absurd. I just
1: develop business, man. That's it. We got a lot of really talented, like, you know, actual developers writing code. And I just developed- the That but Twitter The word in front through, doesn't man. really matter.
2: I know. I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. But no, man, you are an incredible asset to the Bitcoin space. Obviously you have been at Bitcoin or excuse me, at Lightning Labs for a long time now you you also got an incredible sense of humor i'm excited to jump in today and talk about kind of what lightning labs does the the new protocol perhaps the wrong word but tarot that you guys have been working on what the implications for that are and some of the you know the the you know controversy around that and what it might enable can you start by telling us you know what lightning labs is and maybe talking about the the different lightning implementations
1: yeah, for sure. So thank you for the warm introduction. I really appreciate it. And, and thank you for the invitation on the show. Excited to be here. So, you know, for a little bit of brief history, our CEO, Elizabeth Stark, who, you know, everybody should know, founded Lightning Labs in 2016, 2015, 2016, with our CTO, Lalo Ossentukun, uh, also known as Rose Beef. And, you know, the purpose of the company is to build the Lightning Network right, to build out the open source software and developer tools to allow the Lightning Network to grow. So in the, you know, five, six years since, you know, Lightning Labs builds LD, the Lightning Network Daemon, which is, you know, the, the dominant implementation used on the network. Of course, the, the Lightning protocol is specified in the Bolts, the basics of Lightning technology, and there are, you know, additional implementations. Blockstream has C-Lightning, or I guess it's called Core Lightning now. Sync has Eclair. And then the folks at Spiral have LDK, Lightning Developer Kit, but our implementation is LD. And so you know L is you know really battle tested, has a great developer ecosystem. You know, we continually hear from people that are getting on board that you know they don't even really need to reach out to us because our you know developer community is so strong, has such great documentation, great tutorials, etc., which is you know fantastic. And so we build that and we help you know get the lightning network up and running and, and keep it operating. We work with Tons of companies all across the space, you know, with running their nodes. And we also have, you know, a couple of paid products that are focused on liquidity management. So we have Loop, which is the on and off ramp between on-chain Bitcoin and Lightning Bitcoin. And then we have Pool, which is a marketplace for buying and selling Lightning channels. And we also have, you know, Terminal, which is our UI, which both Loop and Pool live inside of. And then last week, We just launched the first open source code of Taro, which is incredibly exciting. The team is like over the moon to have it out into the ecosystem, out into the hands of developers, you know, all around the Bitcoin world. We've seen a great reception thus far. And just for like a, you know, high level explainer of what Taro is, Taro stands for the Taproot Asset Representation Overlay. It's a new protocol that leverages Taproot, you know, which was just soft forked in and activated in November. Leverages Taproot to allow for, you know, an easy way to think about it, if you've been around Bitcoin for a long time, is that this is a Taproot native way of doing what MasterCoin and Counterparty did in 2013, where they were using OppoTern to embed, you know, off-chain messages and off-chain data into the blockchain, which allowed for these, you know, new off-chain protocols to represent assets, you know, other than Bitcoin, but still leveraging the security of the Bitcoin blockchain. So. You know, what we're particularly excited about Taro for is you know, bringing stable coins to the Lightning Network because you know, Taro is designed in such a way that while this first release was on-chain only, you know, further releases down the road will focus on you know, native integration with the Lightning Network, allowing for you know, people all around the world to have the payments experience of Lightning, you know, instant settlement, almost you know, negligible fees, but with their you know, preferred unit of account dollar, you know, at least as a part of their experience in addition to Bitcoin. So, you know, that's what we're really excited about. I think, you know, on a more meta level, what we're really excited about is, you know, this is new greenfield space for Bitcoin developers to play in, right? This is, you know, brand new design space, really excited to kind of reinvigorate the spirit of permissionless innovation in the Bitcoin developer ecosystem. And, you know, just this morning I was going through all of, you know, both the responses on Twitter, which has been so great. You know, people testing out the code, hacking around, you know, printing, you know, billions and billions of, of fake euros on, on Testnet, but then also all the like various, you know, Slack channels and Telegram channels, et cetera, et cetera, of all the chatter. And it's been, you know, seems like our, our, our idea that. Developers were hungry for new stuff to play with and new stuff to build with. Was was exactly on point because the enthusiasm has been really amazing. So yeah, that's Lightning Labs.
2: Very cool. And you know, I, I was one of the people who you know got together and and you know created. Plebnet, which was this just a bunch of us kind of were like, we want to learn about Lightning. You know, one of the most popular, the most popular implementation of the Lightning protocol on Plebnet is through, is LND. So I'm, I'm super excited. I have not played around with uh, the new testnet release myself, but I'm very excited to. You know, you mentioned that, you know, do you say tarot or tarot?
1: Yeah. So it's, I say tarot Tar. because I have a twang. It's supposed to be tarot. I, I, I have to remind myself of that. Just naturally it comes out tarot, but it is supposed to be tarot.
0: I'll join you on the tarot train.
1: All right. Thank you, sir.
0: Can I just ask a question and forgive forgive the ignorance of this a little bit, but we see this conversation about like everything that exists in the broader crypto space can eventually be built on top of Bitcoin should it actually need to be. I want to just point blank talk stable coins with you and just have this conversation of like are they necessary within the Bitcoin ecosystem and why or why not?
1: Yeah, it's a great it's a great question and it's one that you know really drove our decision to focus on taro this year. So you know, rewind whatever it was, 18 months ago or something to Bitcoin 2021, when, you know, we got the El Salvador Bitcoin legal tender law, you know, we got Jack Mahler's amazing presentation, you know, that kickstarted just this massive wave of emerging markets adoption of Lightning, Lightning apps, Lightning wallets everywhere from, you know, Brazil to Argentina to El Salvador, obviously, Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, you know, Vietnam, like all around the world. And, you know, like a really I think probably the coolest part of my job is that I get to work with, you know, Bitcoin entrepreneurs and Bitcoin developers all around the world who are all trying to, you know, get Lightning adopted. And so, you know, in in discussing with them all of last year as they were, you know, getting hit with tons of new signups, tons of new adoption, you know, we're very excited, you know, as the year kind of started coming to a close, we kept hearing this repeated thing from, from these entrepreneurs in emerging markets that was like, okay, you know, like this has been the best year ever. Um, huge adoption, numbers all up and to the right. And I have now successfully acquired all the Bitcoiners, right? Like like in, you know, let's say Chiang Mai, Vietnam. It's like, okay, you know, Neutron Pay, we got all the Bitcoiners. We, we have acquired all of them. They're all using our app. It's amazing. This is great. The next tier of user that we're looking to acquire, like we got all the people who were bought in on Bitcoin, the asset. The next tier of user that we, we want to acquire they want the dollar. And that was just something that we kept hearing from, you know, from, again, all around the world, from South America to Africa to Southeast Asia, was that there's this next group of user that we want to onboard into the Bitcoin ecosystem. But, you know, the using Bitcoin for everyday payments was just a little too much, and they really wanted to use the dollar. And I think you look at, you know, well, of course, being at Lightning Labs, like, by definition, you're a Bitcoin maximalist. I think everybody on the team is, is you know, extremely bullish Bitcoin. We wouldn't be building a payments protocol on top of Bitcoin if we weren't bullish on Bitcoin, the asset. But we just kept hearing from these real people out in the world, you know, trying to solve real users and trying to, you know, grow adoption of their apps that they really need to develop. And I think that that's just one of those things where, you know, if we can provide the same lightning experience, we can onboard more users to the lightning network. We can help out all of the startups that are, you know, pushing Bitcoin infrastructure and, you know, bringing users in and, you know, trying to educate users on why Bitcoin is important. If we can give them this tool that allows them to reach, you know, the next, you know, say 50,000 users, 100,000 users, million users, I think that's an absolute win. I think that's a huge, huge boon to the ecosystem. And it's just following user demand, which I think is, is, is really important. And one side benefit of this that I think is, you know, not, discussed very much is you know because this because taro is running on bitcoin rails because it requires you know a full bitcoin node because it requires you know a lightning node as well if we give the market what it wants in stable coins we are getting the benefit as these new companies adopt of spreading bitcoin infrastructure and spreading bitcoin nodes and spreading lightning nodes and lightning channels into all these places that you know maybe they wouldn't necessarily adopt if they didn't if it was just bitcoin only so i think that's like an underappreciated point just the spread of bitcoin infrastructure because if we're right if we're all right about what bitcoin the asset is then over time demand for the dollar will decline anyways and this bitcoin infrastructure will be in place ready for you know users to switch their demand from you know, USD to BTC. And I think that's, you know, a moment that we're all really excited for and, you know, really pushing for, but there's just this, you know, bridge step in the middle where we got to give the people what they want.
2: Interesting. Let's go through like functionally how this would work. So, you know, you, they, the, as I understand it, there's this idea of sort of like a universe within when we talk about, you know, being able to move assets over lightning, like what does that mean? And, Is it the case that you have to have these specific channels that are just for each individual asset
1: yeah so i'm going to table the universe stuff till the end of this because universes can be a little complicated let's just do like a really simple example i issue some ryan usd on the bitcoin chain right that means i have a bitcoin output already i spend that output to a new pay to taproot utxo and this new pay to taproot utxo I have now. I talk about it like tarot assets or like UTXOs within UTXO, right? So I have created a new UTXO with my spend, and I have now filled this UTXO with Ryan USD, right? And so because this is a pay to chapter output by default, nobody else has to know, right? Miners can't see it. No other users need to know it. I'm the only person. All the knowledge is local to my node that I have filled this UTXO up with Ryan USD, right? If then. I want to open a channel to you, Philip. What I do is, you know, I have that paid attack tap root output. You will need, you know, a Taro node. You'll need to understand the Taro protocol, but I will just, you know, make another spend again, right? And spend my UTXO that's filled with Ryan USD into a channel between myself and you. Then we will have, you know, both because it is a Bitcoin UTXO, we will have, you know, a base, Bitcoin channel, which, you know, could be something really small or could be really big. It's kind of up to us. And we will also have a Taro channel, right? And so that Taro channel between me and you, we can just, it acts exactly like normal Bitcoin channels do, where we can send back and forth between the two of us, you know, potentially millions, billions of times and never need to touch the chain. And it'll act exactly like Lightning does today. And again, that will all be private. And one of the like interesting things about Taro right now Is that all taro channels by default will be unannounced because the lightning gossip network doesn't support tappered outputs yet so you know again this whole saga from minting to opening the channel to now transferring back and forth on the channel the only people that needed to know about ryan usd were myself and you right my my, and nobody else even has the capability unless we broadcasted information to know that this asset has been issued or that the channel is open now, the cool thing is, is because of the way Taro is structured, I can actually send Taro US or Ryan USD to Phil, who then can convert it to Bitcoin and allow me to pay an invoice anywhere on the Lightning Network, right? Any, any specific invoice anywhere, my USD will travel to you and then you will convert it to Bitcoin and you will forward it across the network, just like it's a normal Bitcoin Lightning payment, which is, I think pretty amazing and, you know, is is kind of like in building with the same philosophy and spirit of the internet where, you know, we're putting a lot of intelligence and complexity at the edges, but leaving the core of the network really simple and Bitcoin only, which is, which is, you know, there's like from the internet, there's kind of the, the, the old analogy of the dumb pipe where the core of the internet stays really simple and all the complexity is added to the edges kind of that's exactly the same philosophy that we're shooting with here. So You know, if I wanted to receive USD, Ryan USD, same sort of thing, you know, my channel peer Phil, you would receive a Bitcoin payment, you would convert it into Ryan USD and then transfer that to me. And, you know, everything else works exactly like normal Lightning payments. So I'll stop there and see if there are questions.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense so far.
1: Okay, cool. So that's like the base case. Now, the universe has come in if as an issuer or you know generally as an issuer I think there's the predominant but anybody really if you want to share information about an asset with the rest of the world right and so you know the, the most important information that you can share that actually you know needs a blockchain to prove it is provenance right is your genesis issuance so you know when a bitcoin is you know unlocked or minted or you know, its Genesis event is a Coinbase output, right? Which are special in the protocol. And you can always, when you're verifying that you've received an on chain Bitcoin payment, what you're doing is you're actually tracing back the chain of signatures back to a Coinbase output and being like, oh yeah, okay, this Bitcoin is real because I traced it back to when it was minted by the Coinbase and boom, I can validate that this is correct. With Taro, that's different because the Genesis event could be any pay-to-tap spend. So, you know, the base case for Universe is just, you know, think of it like a repository some off-chain server that says hey everybody the initial ryan usd mint the genesis output was this output in this block and whenever you receive a ryan usd you just need to trace it back through its on-chain spends back to this output and you can verify that it was issued by me in this block you know the only the only thing that you're you're verifying everything you're not trusting me with this information you know the only trust is like you know maybe my server can go down and then you wouldn't have that you know, easy access to what these genesis outpoints were. But the universe stuff will be fun- will be permissionless, so anybody can run one, right? That's kind of like so when you when you think about the universes in the protocol, it's really just for making information public that you know is all kind of opt in. And generally, we think the information that people want made public is going to be this provenance issuance event, you know, proving. Total supply, proving you know that allowing users to verify that the funds that they're receiving actually were minted by the entity they wanted to be minted by.
0: Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor BitMEX. BitMEX is one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade, actively donating to developers and putting out some of the most cited research articles. What you might not know is that BitMEX recently launched a brand new spot exchange and mobile app that takes the experience of buying and holding to the next level. We know that, especially in uncertain market conditions, you need an exchange that is trustworthy and innovative. Sign up at bitmex.com today, check out the BitMEX blog for some great market insights, and stay tuned to our podcast for more from their team. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyperbitcoinization global. With the inaugural European gathering this fall, Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Voss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP Whales in the Deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP Whale Passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Interesting. Okay, so I'm going to ask some dumb questions here.
1: Yeah. Please.
2: Can you you know so again for the audience when we talk about the Lightning Network right you have Bitcoin Core which is like layer one Bitcoin and you know that that can be run on nodes and then there are multiple what are called Lightning implementations. There's LND, there's Core Lightning, there's there's uh, Eclair. People are working on Rust Lightning and these are all implementations that use the same protocol so they can all communicate together. So I can be running a Lightning node that is to say a Bitcoin Core node that is also running Lightning that you know I could be running LND. Q could be running a Core Lightning, you know, Ryan could be running a Claire, and we could still route Lightning payments through all of our nodes interchangeably. And so can you just sort of walk me through, Ryan, like what it might look like? You mentioned sort of like, I what you called it, like Ryan dollar, or like, you know, Ryan USD. <laughs> How would it work? Oh, and then there's one other thing I'll just clarify for the audience, which is, in the Lightning Network, you can have announced channels, which, as Ryan mentioned, are communicated through the gossip protocol. And that is valuable because it allows other people to route through those channels. So if a channel is, when you create a new channel in the Lightning Network, you can either make it announced, in which case other people are aware of its existence and can route through it, and they will choose to do so, their node will choose to do so, based on you know, the, the economic feasibility of a specific route through the network. So you know, when you send a Lightning payment, the node your node is basically... Kind of do, running all these calculations and trying to see, like, how can I get it from point A to point, you know, uh, D in the most economically efficient, that is to say, cheapest way possible. It mm-hmm. can't do that through an un- unannounced channel. So I think you just said this, Ryan, but can you, if you and I are, you know, both running L&D and we're both, you know, using, you know, Terra Protocol, is that the right term? Is pro- we, call it, we call it Terra Protocol. Yep. Yep. Are we able to, like, how do other people send, you know, Brian bucks through the two of us. You, you, <clears throat> there's some, there's some magic there. You mentioned where like it gets converted into yep. BTC. And then-
1: so think about it this way. Just picture this example. I present an invoice. I create an invoice saying I want to receive Brian USD the way that, and I present it to Q who wants to buy, you know, like a sticker from me or whatever. The way that the information is communicated that I have a private Toro channel between myself and you P right is I will include, this is the same way that you include information about a private channel, any private channel today on a channel today is there's a point in the invoice called a hop hint, where it says, Hey, all you gotta do is just get, you know, a thousand sats to P to this node and then P knows how to get it to me. Right. And that's all that you'll see. And so in that hop hint, will be information about the private channel. And will also be information about the exchange rate, which we have negotiated, myself and you, right, as, as the other parts of the channel. So where, how that shows up to Q, who can pay this, you know, Ryan USD invoice with just Bitcoin, if he wants, or he can have Ryan USD or whatever. All it looks like to him is just a routing fee in the last hop, right? This conversion rate, right? Just, it just looks like a routing fee into a hop hint, like he was paying any unannounced channel invoice. Right. So, you know, he sends the payment. And I think it's really easy to think about this when it's all Bitcoin up until the last hop. He sends a payment. It's normal lightning payment. Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. It gets to you. We have pre-agreed that, you know, the exchange rate for Bitcoin USD right now is whatever, 19,500, whatever the price is right now. Which I'll point out, if you go and buy, you know, a sticker from the Lockstream store or a gift card from BitRefill or something like that. Every time you do so, if it's quoted in USD, they quote you a price and say, this price is good for 30 minutes or an hour or, you know, 10 minutes. There's always some like quote with the price and some time delay. So, so we already deal with this problem, you know, issue of conversion lagging network today, but anyways, the sats get to your node. Pete, you have received some BTC. You then pay out USD at the agreed upon rate. You keep a little bit of USD for yourself as like the routing slash conversion fee, I receive USD, everything, everybody's happy. And importantly, none of the other nodes, except for ours 2 need to understand anything about Taro, right? This is all just normal Lightning payments. It could go, you know, between Rust Lightning to Eclair, to C-Lightning, to LMD, finally PDU with LMD and Taro, um, cause this is all just using the existing bolt compatible, um, Lightning mechanics. The only difference is this edge node at the end, this, you know, private channel that has Taro assets in it and the hop hint that, that communicates, you know, what, which specific how to get to the Taro enabled channel. Got it. Okay. there's as mud. I see a lot of thinking. No, no, no I'm, I'm
2: just sort of like trying to go through it. I mean, that, that does make sense. Okay. I'm good. you. Oh, I thought you opened your mouth and you were gonna say something. What do you what have you experienced as the most the most common like sort of concerns around Tarot and what you guys are trying to do? What are some of the, the pieces of pushback? And then which ones do you feel are understandable? Which ones do you feel are kind of spurious?
1: It's a great question. I think there's been a really, really interesting dichotomy that I've noticed. You know, once we announced the protocol in April right before Coin 2022, where one, I want to be like really clear and really explicit that this is the most, our team took so many pains to make sure that this was the most Bitcoin friendly way and, you know, aligned with Bitcoin philosophy to introduce alternative assets to the Bitcoin chain as possible. Right. So, you know, importantly, doesn't use return, So you, you know, you can run a full node, a full Bitcoin node. Never run a taro daemon, have and it'll have taro will have absolutely no impact on you, right? You can ignore it entirely, just like how you can run a Bitcoin node today and not run a lightning node, and Lightning has no impact on you as at all. Taro is the exact same way, right? All of this information is committed within Bitcoin outputs. It's all you know local by default. There is no you know global broadcast, no additional burden on full node operators at all. It's all fully verifiable, and like you know, this is a the lineage of, of of Taro, I believe the earliest, you know, Bitcoin specific attempt at something like this was using Peter Todd's single use seals, which I think was like, 2014, 2015. Then, kind of like the RGB project picked up Peter Todd's work. 2019-ish, I believe. And I was a huge fan of the RGB team. You know, followed them very closely. And then, you know, we decided to build Taro. You know, at the end of last year, as kind of like another attempt at at this goal of you know committing off-chain data really efficiently and really you know incentive compatibly within the outputs. So, you know, that's number one. And for that reason, you know. Because the the engineering team roast beef and his engineers did such a great job with the design. You know, we haven't gotten much pushback at all, which has been fantastic about, you know, any sort of incentive incompatibility in introducing these assets to the network. Right. There may be like, you know, some grumbles or things like that, but generally pretty much everybody it seems to be is is like, you know, hey, this is permissionless innovation, right? You're doing, you're building things the right way. You're letting people, you're making it to where it's opt-in by default and, you know, we'll see what happens, right? That's been the attitude of most of the naysayers. Another like really interesting dichotomy has been kind of how I started the conversation, which is almost, I can't think of anybody who is, you know, in the market every day, trying to spread lighting adoption, trying to get more users and, and make this you know network, which is you know admittedly a little complicated, making it you know usable and understandable by your everyday your everyday user. I can't think of a single one of those people who, have, when we've discussed the idea, been like, oh man, stablecoins are going to be huge, right? Everybody who's out in the market who is you know attempting to onboard users recognizes immediately like, oh yeah, this is this is huge. This is going to be make the biggest part, the biggest barrier to getting adoption is the Bitcoin thing, which as we all know, it takes three, five touch points or something like that with Bitcoin until you really get it. And there's a lot of people today who, you know, n- need what the Lightning Network offers, but just haven't had those touch points with Bitcoin to really grok it yet. So you know, there's, you know, certainly a subset of Bitcoiners that think that Stablecoins are a waste of time, but I think that they are, you know, firmly in the minority, especially, you know, in, in relation to the people who are, you know, out and pounding the pavement every day, trying to get users on board. So those would be kind of the two things I think, you know, does this tweak Bitcoin incentives and the, with the way the protocol has been designed? I think that's up firmly a no. And then, you know, are stablecoins a waste of time? I can, I, I understand the argument of wanting to focus on just Bitcoin, but like everything that the market is screaming at us is saying that there's huge demand for this, that it'll really help proliferate, you know, adoption of Bitcoin infrastructure first and, and Bitcoin the asset later down the road.
2: Yeah, you're talking about meeting people where they are and solving the the real world needs they have, mm-hmm. in, you know, immediately or the sense of immediacy that they have. Um, mm-hmm. I think another thing that's, that's so interesting here is that this all, of course, is built on top of... The sound money principles of bitcoin it's all built on top of layer one so this exactly. all settles back to and can be settled back to Bitcoin whenever a person chooses to correct
1: yep hundred percent and that's something that we're you know like imagine imagine you have a lightning wallet where you know that's one way I think about this is you know strike has built an incredible user experience you know with with holding dollars and spending over the lightning network right now strike uniquely like does it in a way where i you know i don't know the details of their operation but i assume that they have some back office trading you know operation which i believe jack Mollers has talked about publicly where they're like maintaining that maintaining the spread maintaining the peg so to speak ensuring that you know strike is not you know necessarily exposed overly exposed to bitcoin price swings because they're guaranteeing dollars to their users but actually holding bitcoin right that has been like a really great user experience that has, you know, gotten tons of press. You know, they just raised $80 million or whatever, something like that, tons of success. And what we hope is that Taro with these issued assets will give every Lightning wallet that same experience, but instead of requiring this backend trading operation, which, you know, requires a certain amount of sophistication. Instead, all you have to do is run open source software and, you know, asterisk, trust the issuer. And so I think, you know, giving the strike experience to every lightning wallet. And in addition, giving maybe even giving a more advanced experience, which is you can optionally switch between USD and BTC balances within your lightning wallet with you know almost zero friction, right? It's just a circular rebalance, basically, is one way to think about it, to go from USD to BTC. Like I think that could be huge for adoption. And you know, one thing that I remember talking to um, if you're familiar with Nicholas Bertie uh, at Galois, built the Bitcoin Beach wallet, you know, has done an an amazing amount of work spreading lightning adoption in in emerging markets. I remember one of his like early, early, early pitch decks, probably like 2018 or something like that. He was talking about how Galois was going to be for the dual currency American, right? The American who is, you know, wants to save in BTC, but still needs USD for just kind of like everyday operations. And that's kind of how I think about, Taro going forward is it allows these lightning wallets, instead of just being for the market, which, you know, is Bitcoin only people, it allows them to just expand into a much bigger market of the Bitcoin only people and the people who are dual currency citizens who want to save in Bitcoin, but, you know, need some local fiat for everyday operations and aren't ready to, you know, totally go to zero on their fiat exposure. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really optimistic about that. I think that opens up like a whole new user experience for our, you know, lightning developer ecosystem. And I can just tell you that like the startups that are that are building in this space are like over the moon and chomping at the bit to, you know, get their hands on some Taro assets for their users.
2: Interesting. Do you feel like this is a, I've been following RGB, which you mentioned briefly for a long time. I feel like, you know, there's some really exciting stuff there, but I feel like it's been sort of like delayed and delayed and delayed. You probably can't be super blunt, but do you feel like this is like, the RGB killer.
1: I Not at all. No, really, I don't. I think in the early day, when I first got really excited about RGB, it was actually for the use case of like, oh shit, this is how we get Tether on Lightning, like huge. That's going to be enormous. I think the RGB project has, you know, broadened their scope quite a bit. And, you know, we saw some tweets and I still loosely follow the project about how, you know, they're trying to do, you know, smart contracting stuff. They built their own Lightning node. You know, it's just like a really big project. I think we're just like, we're really focused on nailing the, you know, stable coins on Lightning for our developer ecosystem use case. So, you know, I think that although very similar foundationally in terms of, you know, how the asset issuance part of the protocols work, and again, like both stemming from Peter Todd's single-use seals, single-use seals stuff, you know, I think we're just really focused on Lighting integration with assets and, you know, they've expanded their scope quite a bit. There's plenty of room for, you know, both, both attempts and, you know, hopefully we can both learn from each other and, you know, share notes and grow the ecosystem together.
2: Interesting. So I've been grilling you about Tara, but I also, I want to give you an opportunity to ask some questions about sort of your specific relationship to Bitcoin and and how you came to be involved. Q, you want to, you want to throw some, uh, some questions out there? I mean,
0: I'll, I just, I always like sort of hearing and understanding a, how did you come across Bitcoin and B what was your initial reaction? Because I think the majority of people's initial reactions have been, oh, what is this? And sort of ignore Bitcoin at first glance.
1: Yeah. I have like, I don't know. I, I think it's a little unique where I was, so I graduated from University of Texas in 2014 with an engineering degree. I was then my first job was I was working at Intel as a controls engineer. And so I was working in these, you know, big semiconductor fabs, you know, which are have 24/7 365 uptime and like I think the statistic every minute of downtime cost the company like 10 million dollars of revenue or something. Like it was some something absurd like that. And so like it was really important that our control systems were you know, designed were mission critical, right? They couldn't go down. And so, you know, that kind of like initial job exposed me to what does mission critical engineering look like, which I think really helped predispose me to Bitcoin. Fast forward to 2017, and I had, you know, upgraded to a slightly sexier sounding job where I was an, an IoT engineer working on Internet of Things prototypes for Intel. And so this was, you know, we were thinking about, you know, autonomous cars, you know, streaming payments to, you know, tolls or to map information or, you know, paying each other peer to peer on the highways to, you know, pass along the left lane and all this sort of like, you know, machine to machine payment stuff, which I thought was really cool. But the more I thought about it and the more I looked at like the numbers, it was just like, man, there is no way that this machine-to-machine payments stuff is going to happen on Visa MasterCard. Like, there's just, there's just no way that we can do these small amounts, that we could do the immediacy of instant settlement, that even, like, as a company, we could register and get all of these devices, like, their own accounts on these centralized networks. Like, it just seemed totally intractable. And so, you know, that just so happened to coincide with the 2017, you know, ICO boom, there was tons of stuff about digital currencies, you know, it actually took me a little while to like, sift through all the nonsense to figure out Bitcoin, because, you know, initially, I was just like, oh, what's going to be the micropayments machine to machine payments network, that's the one I'm interested in, in working on. So, you know, it took me a little while to actually sift through all of that stuff and, you know, end up a Bitcoin. But what ended up really getting me was, you know, my first job in the crypto space is I was actually the lead analyst at Multicoin Capital. So, the, you know, not a very Bitcoin friendly shop. And, you know, they asked me first to, you know, research consensus algorithms and figure out, you know, what was the consensus algorithm of the future. And so I you know, dove really deep into proof of work, dove really deep into proof of stake. And my answer was kind of the opposite of the one that they were hoping I would come up with. But my answer was like, oh, man, proof of work is beautiful. Proof-of-work is, is elegant, Proof-of-work is ideal, especially in the way Bitcoin has implemented it. You know, this is mission critical engineering. This reminds me of, you know, designing control systems to work for the Intel fabs, right? This is like, you know, not aesthetically pleasing in the, you know, kind of finance sense where, you know, they really like the capital efficiency or the capital efficiency of proof of stake, blah, 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 all that stuff, the faster block times. But this is really, really beautiful mission critical design and, you know, engineering for something that can't go down. So I like first like was like, hold on a second, there's something special about Bitcoin here when I dove into proof of work. And then it was, like, you know, other six months after that, we were I was researching blockchain scalability and, you know, was diving into the predecessors to roll ups, sidechains, all that sort of stuff and happened on lightning. And again, was just like, oh, blown away, like, this is, here's the micropayments machine to machine payments network I've been looking for, right? They, they built it and it's built on Bitcoin. It uses Satoshi's. It has this, again, like this beautifully elegant mission critical design where, you know, I, I, I recognize the same philosophy and influence from Intel control systems. We're like, oh yeah, this thing is totally going to scale. It's totally going to work and people are just sleeping on it. And so, you know, I kind of, I probably had that realization middle of 2019, something like that. I went and, you know, presented at the Lightning Conference what I thought were cool investable opportunities in the Lightning space. I met, you know, Elizabeth Stark and, and the team there and basically begged Elizabeth for a job six months until she finally gave in and let me on board. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a unique path where, especially coming in from the crypto space, all you hear is like, Bitcoin is old. Bitcoin is Sputnik. Bitcoin Bitcoin never advances. Blah 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 blah. But you know, with it with a real mission critical engineering experience, you realize that's all kind of nonsense. And actually, there's like real solid foundation here, and we just need to keep building on top of that foundation, and you know, ensuring that the foundation stays strong.
0: I think that. The thing I found most interesting in that conversation was just how surprised people were by your passion of proof of work. And mm-hmm. just given, I think, where we are in the broader crypto space and the merge that for the sake of our show, the merge happened, P. you're not welching on this fucking bet, but like for the sake of like, let's be really honest with ourselves, there was a whole lot of nothing over there mm-hmm. uh, For for context. Also, Ryan, in case you... I assume you watch our show like religiously, as do most of our uh, audience members as well as our guests.
1: Yeah, it's fair assumption.
0: But for any new audience members out there, the bet I am discussing here is P, the uh, less handsome co-host. He bet saying that the merge would not happen, but if it did in the month of September, we even, we caveat it by the whole month It just had to happen then, he would eat two whole shoes. Oh my God. But, no, this is bullshit. But.
2: I'm putting my foot down, not true, lies. A piece of shoe leather. And it was, yeah, if this, this hard fork happens and was not like instant, you know, immolation of mm-hmm. everyone involved. And uh, you know, they they pulled off a thing, that's for sure. So now I have to eat some mm-hmm. shoes, a so, piece of shoe. That's very exciting. now.
0: Now that context, context is set, Ryan, I, I would love your thoughts on just, as you heard and witnessed this happen, how much eye rolling do you have to fight off when you hear some of the, some of the bullshit that gets spewed about why proof of stake is actually better than proof of work? Like, can you maybe touch on some of the examples in your own studies that you were like, this just doesn't make. Why would we go and do this system versus proof of work, which offers us this?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a categ- more than anything else, it's a it's a category error problem, right? Like. What the Bitcoin base layer is designed to do is to make it, you know, really cheap to run a really accessible, to run a full node, to validate all prior transactions and to verify when you're receiving payments on chain. Again, like I talked about at the top of the call, that the coins that you're being sent are legit, right? That they're actual Bitcoins, that they trace all the way back to a Coinbase, that they don't belong to anybody else, that you aren't being double spent, right? Like that is... the the design criteria for the base layer is how can, you know, the minimum viable peer, minimum viable hardware, you know, Raspberry Pi, fully validate this chain and fully verify that the funds that you're being sent are, are actually yours, right? And all the proof of stake networks are, you know, it's completely different. It's like, how do we build a blockchain that has, you know, high TPS and, um, you know, doesn't require energy expenditure, which is like, you know, I don't really know why you would want to do that. I think you could just use a, a centralized database unless you're trying for some regulatory arbitrage play. But, you know, the why do we have this thing in proof of work, you know, is is for really cheap full nodes. And then importantly, on the mining side, for a validator set for a, a miner ecosystem that has some like, natural barriers to centralization and i think my favorite one about that is you know because the natural resource you need to be a miner in in bitcoin is access to cheap energy you know cheap energy is globally distributed there is no monopoly on hydropower there is no monopoly on excess natural gas you know there's not even you know a monopoly on solar and wind although i'm not you know very bullish on those as energy sources for miners you know so we have this you know predetermined by the universe or god or whoever you know global distribution of cheap energy which ensures that you know validators or miners rather are globally distributed and it's this constant push this constant operation where you have to be on your A game if you're trying to consolidate market share in the mining ecosystem you have to run a tight ship and you have to keep your asics you know online you have to be hiring engineers and like it's a it's a it's a hard business to stay on top for a while whereas with proof of stake of course you know all you got to do is keep a server online and keep your coin staked and you just keep compounding your ownership of the of the protocol. So I think it's more than anything else. It's that they're, the problems that we're solving in Bitcoin with proof of work are just completely different from the problems that the rest of the ecosystem with the proof of stake chains are trying to solve. So I think it's just a category error, right? Like the Greenpeace stuff, like, you know, we're going to get Bitcoin to switch over to proof of stake. It's like, no, <laughs> we're not because that's not it doesn't solve the problems that we're looking to solve, right? We want geographic distribution and max decentralization of our, of our miner ecosystem. And we want really, really cheap to operate fully validating full nodes. And you can't do either of those things with proof of stake. So it's just not even worth
0: discussing. So I won't make you discuss it anymore in that case. <laughs>
1: I will say one other thing that I think is interesting, like with, with ETH moving over to, to proof of stake is like proof of work. I think when significantly distributed, distributed, it produces commodities, right? Like Bitcoin is a commodity money and like being in Texas, it has been hilarious over the last couple of years pitching Bitcoin to all my friends and family that are in oil and gas industry, and I no longer talk about Bitcoin as a store of value or as investment anymore to them. When I'm talking to oil and gas people, I just say, look, Bitcoin is just a commodity like oil, you know, like natural gas, and it's volatile. It goes up and down, but it's produced by these you know, producers and they sell it on the open market. And then they're just kind of like, oh, so it's not supposed to be like stable, like a currency. Like it's just a, it's vol- like oil and gas is super volatile, right? It's a very cyclical industry. And they're like, oh, that's it. Well, shit. Why didn't somebody tell me that a couple of years ago? Like, I would have bought some, <laughs> right? So I think that that focus and like the the commodity focus of of Bitcoin is really special. And I think that all of these proof of stake chains, right, like the, they're turning their token into this. It's a it's a pseudo equity, right? Like even if it's not deemed a security by the SEC, it looks, talks, and smells like you know equity, like a security. And so I think that's just like a you know, uh, again, like a category difference, categorical difference between proof of work and proof of stake, which if you look at, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, probably one of the great Bitcoin thinkers, Vijay Boyapati or Tour de Meester or somebody like that. I remember first seeing it from is like, you know, gold, 10 trillion, you know, biggest equities on the planet, Apple, Facebook, et cetera, are like $1 trillion. So sticking with the, the commodity market is like, you know, very bullish for, for Bitcoin, the asset. Because the, you know, the total market cap that it can achieve is by being a commodity money is just much, much, much higher than being one of these pseudo equities. And I think we're like now we're the only game in town for that. Right. So you know, good riddance Ethereum. I think that was a huge mistake. And I think they'll come to regret it.
0: So I think there's something interesting both in what you described, the conversations with your family, as well as just what we're seeing. In the state of Texas, for example, and then more broadly in the oil and gas industry where Mm -hmm. that industry now, while it didn't necessarily care for or pay too much attention, you're seeing large industry players now find ways to incorporate Bitcoin and or Bitcoin mining into their business. I would just love to spend a moment speculating with you of like, what does that entail for the rest of this decade, just domestically? Where does the oil and gas industry and Bitcoin go?
1: Whatever you're thinking, I can tell you you're not bullish enough. So like probably once I was like, became like the Bitcoin guy and my friends and family, which was like probably two, three years ago, something like that. You know, I'd go to weddings, various events, stuff like that, and have uncles, cousins, you know, college friends kind of come up to me and like laugh about Bitcoin price or whatever, just kind of, you know. Nothing serious, no like real interest or something like that. This summer, I went to one wedding in particular that just like blew me away where I had like three different people come up to me as, you know, like VPs of strategy or, you know, directors of finance at, you know, various oil and gas companies. Three different people come up to me and be like, hey, any miners, you know, in Texas, like send them my way. We're interested. We're, We're like, we're deploying now. We want to meet them we want to start like we get it and we want in and we can't meet enough people to try and like find the right fit right so it's like they're they're interested they have gotten now over the period of like why would i want to do this and you know there's career risk because you know we don't want to be we don't want to go in all all in on this bitcoin thing if it's not going to work that has all gone away now like they're hungry they're ready and they're just trying to find the right people to work with and like the right contractual terms and stuff like that and like it's all over the state right the the you know western part of the state that the panhandle where there's like a lot of wind and solar and you know not great pipeline capacity they're just like you know hey we're we're flaring gas we don't want to be flaring gas we would we would love to be you know selling it on the open market but we can't and if you guys can Pay us to get rid of this flaring problem? Like, yes. When can you start? Right. And I remember one other thing that I, a really funny anecdote was I was talking with some Chinese miners who had, you know, they'd gotten kicked out of China and were coming over to Texas to try and figure out, you know, how to set up shop. And I asked them, like, so, you know, just you can go anywhere all around the world. Like, why Texas? And this miner told me, he's like, man, Texas is the only place in the world where, you know, I can show up, you know, fresh off the plane from Beijing or something like that, drive, you know, an hour out into the country to some good old boy's ranch and be like, okay, you know, I need, you know, 100 megawatts. And the good old boy's like, great, can you start Tuesday? (laughs) Right, because, you know, there aren't like, there isn't any of this, you don't have to submit for permits. You, you just got to show up, right? Because the ERCOT is just like maximally deregulated as a grid. So, you know, there's a lot of projects elsewhere around the world that are, you know, hung up by red tape and are going to take six, 12 months to get going. But here in Texas, like you just kind of show up, plug your machines in and, and get going. And so I, I'm, it's going to be, that's going to be a really, really cool convergence to see happening over the next several years that like not enough people are, are bullish about. And I think it's one of those things where, because these are, you know, oil and gas is a massive, very old, very well-structured industry, right? Like they're not going to move overnight into this stuff. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I think like the education period is kind of over by this point. I think we've done a really good job as an ecosystem on educating. And now it's kind of, we're moving into the deployment period, which I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about. And like, you know, I saw, you know, fact check me on this, but I saw a stat like a couple months ago or something that, there were applications for 18 gigawatts of mining just in the state of Texas over the next several years, right? Which was like, that's like twice the hash power of the whole network or something like that, right? So, you know, we'll see how much actually gets deployed, but like there's a lot of interest down here. And, you know, we have the supply and the structure of the grid to be able to soak it up. So it's going to be a pretty interesting couple of years.
0: Now, is there a risk just in your opinion of an over-concentration of the network hash rate, both just within the United States as a whole, or even more specifically within Texas?
1: Yeah. So that's a really, uh, yes, but with some nuance in that, like I know there's a lot of, not a lot of, but there's some angst about the amount of hash being owned by publicly traded miners. But one really interesting thing about the US, of course, is I think the thing that One of the things about the U.S. that sets us apart is our respect for private property rights. Uh, I think that's one of the most important things that we have going for us. And so it's one thing if, you know, there's some massive couple gigawatt site that's, you know, very easily identifiable and owned by a publicly traded corporation, right? It's a totally other thing if there's ASICs deployed on some private rancher's land, who, you know, has a couple of oil wells and is mining on his private property, right? In the former, with the publicly traded corporation, yeah, you could see some, you know, coercion happening, you know, maybe an attempt to, I don't know, adjust adjust mining for whatever reason. But in the latter, if the ASICs are on somebody's private property, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Good luck. Here down in Texas, we have a saying, it's, you know, pretty widely understood, that's come and take it. And so I understand the concern there and i think it's very rational i think in practice what we'll end up seeing is not not enough consolidation for really anything you know disruptive to happen and plenty of miners that end up you know just seeking the plenty of hash that ends up seeking kind of the easy way of deploying on private property and not dealing with that headache to begin with and in addition right like i do think because we have you know the best energy markets in the world texas and the us you know will soak up a lot of hash but there's you know at some point when the demand gets too high on these grids they're going to start you know bringing prices up and that's when hash will go to you know hydropower in paraguay or you know natural gas in you know anywhere else in the world right there's plenty of 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 energy globally distributed and the whole game with mining is can you get the lowest opex so I, i think that there's plenty of incentives to distribute globally i'm not not really all that worried about it
0: so what's what's other pieces of misunderstood fud i want to phrase it like that where there is some concern there are conversations happening but in your opinion this is just this isn't actually a real something to really concern ourselves with
1: i mean i think kind of all i'm of course like a mega book bitcoin bull i think kind of most pieces of FUD are misunderstood. So I don't know. Can you give me some examples of, of of FUD that you're concerned about or your your listeners, viewers are concerned about?
0: I'll share a new piece of what I've been labeled as a, a FUD spreader by raising this concern. But like I I've just come to a point where I don't really understand why we both celebrate things like Michael Saylor just bought more Bitcoin. So he has an Mm -hmm. even larger larger share of the total Bitcoin available or any multi-billion dollar or even some trillion dollar businesses turning around and us waiting by bated breath for Elon Musk to once again say, all right, you can give me Bitcoin for Tesla or Apple to say you can buy the new iPhone with Bitcoin. Like, Personally, I don't feel like these events actually are pushing the needle forward in the right way. Where Bitcoin is just going to then get held up by the people who have the most money that have created all the problems we now see today. Am yeah, I spreading
1: that's, that's a really good one, actually. We and it's one that we identify with. So you know, I write our. Can I can I shill on this show? Is that okay?
0: please what's the point of coming if you can't shell?
1: okay so i write our monthly newsletter lightinglabs.substack.com and you know sometime last year i think in the spring of last year you know our, our our memer in chief elizabeth stark ceo you know came up with the meme that you know bitcoin is for the billions not for the billionaires right like the reason why we're here is not so you know michael saylor can buy himself a new yacht, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, the the people who are frozen out of the financial system and can't access savings to protect themselves from monetary debasement, people in Argentina, Brazil, Nigeria, et cetera, that they can access Bitcoin. So that's actually one that, you know, I, I fully agree with you on the, I think the importance of Michael Saylor and, and the big billionaires, you know, publicly buying Bitcoin is that it, you know, it it's marketing it it de-risks this thing in some people's eyes it makes it you know seem more acceptable rather than something that just you know criminals and drug dealers use but really it's like the over, I, I agree that the importance is overstated the important thing the thing that really drives bitcoin price higher is you know individuals holding their own keys removing you know like like unchained capital here in austin says draining the exchanges Right, using Bitcoin on a daily basis by transacting over Lightning or running a routing node, right? That's actually what impacts Bitcoin's network effect, right? And I think, you know, as as a company, Lightning Labs puts a really high emphasis and a really strong priority on network effects specifically. Right. We like to say we're a network effects business building a network effects protocol on top of a network effects asset, (laughs) right? Where, you know, and just for, for your audience for context, you know, a network effect is, you know, the each individual user of a protocol in a network effect protocol makes the value of the network increase by the square of the number of people. So, you know, if you and I have a telephone, that's like kind of useful, but if our five other friends have telephones, then all of us can call each other and now it's exponentially more useful. Right. And so that's again, where, you know, Bitcoin owned by the hundred thousand Bitcoin owned by Michael Saylor are great from a marketing perspective, but from like a real utility perspective. It's the 100,000 Bitcoin that have been scooped up by millions of people all around the world that are really going to drive us forward. So, you know, I think I generally agree with you to address the FUD aspect of that, right? There's not really all that much they can actually do. Unlike proof of stake, owning more coins does not increase your influence in the protocol, right? It doesn't like you still, if you want to, if you want to force a hard fork or something like that you still have to go and convince all the node operators and all the miners to adjust their software to what you want it to be. And I think that's a really important distinction, again, about proof of work, is that you know, no matter how many coins you own, you're still just another peer on the network.
2: Can I ask some more? I have a few more questions on the sort of you know technical side of things. Sure. I've heard a rumor that you guys are... Working on support for Bolt 12, Rusty Russell's, you know, Bolt spec. I'm, I'm, is that is that something you can speak to? I, you know, I'm super excited about Bolt 12. What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, our one of the things that was is interesting about the Lightning protocol development is again, like everything is based on on the bolts, the basis of Lightning technology specs, of which Bolt 12 is like a new proposed addition. All invoices right now are Bolt 11, which was the previous invoice spec that was you know designed by Rusty Russell from Blockstream and team. And now he's designed you know an upgrade in his mind called Bolt 12. And you know Sea Lightning has deployed you know their version of it. I know that Eclair and Rust Lightning are also working on interoperable implementations, which is you know which is great. This year. Lightning Labs decided to focus on Taproot channels instead and, you know, Taproot channels as an enabler for Taro, of course, but also Taproot channels just because, you know, we have this new tool set and people have been excited about the benefits of of Taproot Lightning for forever, right? PTLCs, point time lock, uh, point, yeah, point time lock contracts, you know, help improve privacy, help improve programmability um, over HTLCs, hash time lock contracts, um, which are only really enabled with. With Taproot, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things we can do with, you know, the uh, new um, multi-sig capabilities like multi-sig 2 with Taproot, you know, make a lot smaller channels. We can improve privacy of the network with, you know, making every channel a pay to Taproot output. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we can do. And so I think, you know, we kind of diverged on paths a little bit with the rest of the ecosystem by prioritizing Taproot. And, you know, importantly, we have already a proposal to the bolts, to the spec for, you know, how to design taproot channels. And so, you know, I want to, you know, emphasize, you know, although we did kind of go separate directions, the great thing about this Lightning ecosystem is that we can do this stuff in parallel, right? Because Lightning is not a consensus network, you know, we can have teams working on, different things in parallel, instead of everybody working, you know, in serialized fashion, one after the other and the whole ecosystem benefits, right? So we will have learned a lot about deploying taproot channels this year. We will have contributed it all to the spec. And when the other implementations are ready to, you know, change focuses or, you know, prioritize taproot channels, we'll have done a lot of the heavy lifting for them and they can implement alongside our spec. So that's kind of, you know, thing number one. To address, you know, your direct question, like when bolt twelve, right? You know, one of the things about LND that's it's been really cool this year as we're going through Tapper development is, you know, LND's been around for a while and 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 been really heavily used and you know has a, a an ecosystem of people that depend on us. And so, like one, you know, inside baseball thing is that you know there's been a lot of requests for us to update the way that we store invoices, update our our invoice database. And you know, P, I'm sure you heard loud and clear from the PubNet earlier this year, kind of the database issues that they were having with l which, you know, we largely fixed in 15 and 50.1, right? So this is just like another evolution and thing is, is redoing our invoice database. And this actually is like a really interesting and important prerequisite for any sort of Bolt 12 work where we would want to finish, you know, updating this invoice database to where it's more efficient and preparing it for Bolt 12 development. So that's all, you know, a very long-winded way to say, you know, it's, we're almost ready to start work on it. We're, we're really glad that the rest of the ecosystem has done so while we've been prioritizing Taproot, you know, I think it's something that, you know, we still need to figure out kind of like a, you know, the the when and kind of the staged approach, but I do think, you know, sometime next year, you'll see at, at least the Bolt 12 invoice format, you know, coming to LND. but it's just one of those things where. You know, it's not an immediate priority for us and we're glad that the other limitations are working on.
2: That's fantastic though, that you, you said sometime next year, I mean, that's, that's, that's great. And just for the audience, when we talk about, you know, Ryan mentioned Bolt 11, Bolt 12, You know, right now in the Lightning Network, one must, if, you know, Q wants to, to if we go out and get beers and Q wants to basically like, you know, pay me for the beer that I bought him. It was a great beer, by the way, the best. Um, I have to generate an invoice and then he has to scan that invoice and then he can then send me funds. and. Bolt twelve, um, among many other interesting things, uh, aims to uh, kind of make it so that he could send me payments uh, more more directly, and it would kind of uh, simplify that process. One thing that you mentioned, Ryan, is you know you mentioned the 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 spec process. Mm-hmm. And you know, as I understand it, the major contributors to the various implementations, you know get together and they work on the the, the lightning specs. And basically, I may do a, a terrible job butchering this, but I would describe specs as basically a set of kind of, not even instructions, but you know definitions or, or protocols or almost the APIs that allow each of the different major lightning implementations to define the the kind of communication protocol between them so that they can basically say like, hey, we're implementing this specific feature. And here is the here are the 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 endpoints, the API endpoints, the RPC endpoints, whatever it is that basically are how you, as a different, totally separate implementation, can uh, can implement this yourself, so that we can all kind of intercommunicate. Is that a, mm-hmm. a fair generalization?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think like the one the one nit is like it it doesn't necessarily get into the the API level, but what 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 the specs do provide is like okay once you have your version of this implemented, here are all the test vectors, right? Here are all the tests that you can run against your specific implementation and your outputs need to match my outputs, right? So it's like, it's yeah. a bunch of words defining how this thing is supposed to work. And then like, okay, once you've built your thing that you think complies to these words, run the software and get these same outputs.
2: Yeah, that, that, that is a great clarification. Okay. So with, you know, you mentioned, do you feel, or Taro being kind of eventually part of that spec process, do you feel like, or are you guys trying to, to build out the spec so that other implementations can in fact support Taro directly? Oh yeah,
1: for sure. So, I mean, that was, you know, we did this, and again, we did this very intentionally where, you know, Taro is a totally open protocol, right? When we announced in April, we announced on purpose with written out BIPS, right? So this is, you know, because it's on-chain first before lightning, right? We published, you know, there's I think there's six different BIP BIPs, which is Bitcoin improvement proposal that describe Taro, the protocol, that describe the Merkle Sum, Sparse Merkle tree data structure that it's using, that describe, you know, the universes, that describe kind of the Taro VM. So we on purpose, very deliberately, did the extra work to spec the protocol itself and you know so that anybody can build and interoperate can build their own implementation of taro so just like how we have lnd which is an implementation of the lightning network specs which are defined by the bolts last week was we announced the taro d the taro daemon which is an implementation of the taro bips right so now like the bips are like still in draft phase we haven't you know, they're in roast beefs GitHub. They haven't been, you know, formally submitted to the Bitcoin community yet. But it is, you know, very important to us that Taro is seen something as something that is, you know, maybe developed by Lightning Labs and, you know, first implemented by Lightning Labs, but it belongs to everybody, right? So I hope we see a Rust version of Taro D ASAP. You know, I hope we see, you know, other implementations. You know, I don't really know if I hope we see one written in C because see, but you know, that, that's a programmer joke, but you know, we'll, we'll, I, I hope there's many implementations of the protocol and, and everybody interoperates with it now to the, you know, the bolts aspect and the lightning part, right? Like now that we've released the on-chain portion of Taro, kind of the focus is on all of the lightning stuff for the rest of the year, the lightning integration for the rest of the year. So we'll see kind of exactly what path that takes in terms of, you know what additional documentation we're doing, you know, exactly what else do we need beyond just Tapper channels to make that happen? But like fully, you know, it, it, again, we're a network effects company. It makes no sense to freeze out any other implementations that want to interoperate with, you know, our protocol and with the assets that are issued on this protocol. So, you know, we will definitely be doing, you know, everything we can to ensure that the other implementations can interoperate, can, you know, route Taro transactions can support it. I think there are some like outstanding questions again, around like the gossip network and sequencing of like, how exactly do we deploy this, you know, do we even want Tarot assets to be Tarot channels to be routable or do we want them to be, you know, non routable? There's, there's a bunch of interesting implementation questions that are going to come up as we submit to that process, but definitely the, the whole, Everything about Taro is open. Everything about Taro is collaborative. And we're excited for other folks to, you know, start building their implementations alongside the VIPS.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think about, you know, the as you said, the most important thing here, or one of the most important things is these network effects, right? Basically empowering developers, empowering users to be able to integrate with these really, really exciting new developments that you guys are building, that CLN is building. And I, I sometimes wonder or worry about kind of like vendor lock-in and things like that, but it sounds like you guys are, are just as committed as ever to making sure that this is a technology that is available to, you know, every lightning implementation and thus becomes, you know, something that, that the entire network can benefit from.
1: Yeah. And so again, like, and this is one of those things where, because the other implementations made the choice to focus on Bolt 12 this year, instead of taproot, like taproot is a prerequisite to taro. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's, you know, we want it to happen as soon as possible, of course, but, you know, we can't control their development teams. And so it will be, I think, a little bit for them, one, to implement Taproot and then two, to implement Taro afterwards. However, like with that being said, I am, you know, the nice, the really great thing is we've done all the heavy Taproot lifting already for them. Right. And have already implemented that. So their, their time to deployment should be significantly decreased, just like, you know, our time to deploying bolt 12 should be as well with all of these other implementations going through the work. So, you know, that's one of those things that's, you know, every once in a while, the lightning ecosystem can get like a little snippy with each other, right? That happens every once in a while, but, you know, we always try and remind ourselves, you know we're all on the same team we're all trying to bring you know bitcoin to 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 the people that need it and and make it you know more performant as a medium of exchange and build this network together and that you know sometimes teams have differing priorities and you know importantly on lightning that's okay you know it's not necessarily the case that that's okay on bitcoin because this is consensus we all have to stay you know focused on on maintaining consensus and all running the same software, but on lightning, it's okay. If we kind of diverge a little bit and prioritize different things and actually think that I think that's a huge strength of the ecosystem that we even can do that. I think it it helps bring about, you know, you know, like I said, kind of shorter timelines to deployment because all the teams working on this stuff are are exceedingly competent and they've now worked together for five years. Right. So know each other pretty well, pretty well.
2: Absolutely. Well said, well said, well. We're coming towards the end of our show. And one, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This has been really enjoyable for me. I hope for our audience as well. I'm super excited about the work that you guys are doing. How can people follow you, find you, and also follow the work that Lightning Labs is doing and Lalu is doing on this topic?
1: Yeah. So... Number 1 is, you know, our Twitter account at lightning definitely follow there that's where we post kind of and retweet kind of all of our announcements and all the news so definitely follow us at light you know I am at Ryan the Gentry T H E those spaces on Twitter and you know I would also recommend subscribing to our newsletter lightninglabs.substack.com of course our website is lightning.engineering we are earnestly hiring engineers so you know please look at our join us page and you know submit an application you know there's a ton of work to be to be done and a ton of new things to build so you know we're we're, we're always hiring for engineers for some additional other roles at the team so definitely do that and then of course you know got to follow roast beef on twitter as well so he's at r o a s b e e f just drops knowledge all the time, sometimes too much knowledge that we have to try and get them to dial back. But yeah, please my DMs are open. I'm on every messaging app that you can possibly think of. Generally with the Ryan the Gentry tag and you know looking forward to chatting with the community.
0: You heard that ladies. If you match with him on Tinder, make sure you tell him you listen to this interview. (laughs) Right. You're the man. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for teaching me a ton of stuff today that I look forward to continuing to learn and I to subscribe to your newsletter as well so looking forward to getting I that
1: awesome well thank you both so much for having me this was a blast and again yeah like developers listening please go check out the taro daemon we launched it you know just last wednesday we've already gotten some great feedback but you know we launched this alpha test that only version on purpose because we wanted to get it into your hands we wanted to get your feedback we wanted to hear what your priorities are and you wanted, we want you to find bugs for us. So, you know, please get out there, download the software, run Taro, and, you know, we're really excited to bring it to the Lightning Network as the year comes to a close.
2: All right, my friends. As always, the Bitcoin Amsterdam conference is about to happen. If you do not already have tickets, you can use code BMLive to save 10% off of your ticket. We also have the... Physical Magazine, which, as you've heard me talk about many times, is incredible. No, Q, you are not allowed to do an edition a reading, but it is incredible. And the new issue, the Orange Party issue, is about to drop. Get ready. It's going to be fucking incredible. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: Until then. Hey, guys. This is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global. With the inaugural European Gathering this fall, Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof-of-Workshop stage as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BM Live for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, So grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.